Today's episode of Raptors Reasonlists is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Add to your flash briefing on Alexa or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonless Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Joining me on the line, as always, the now self-appointed king of 90s Canadian rock, Eric Kareen. Eric, what's up, man? Not too much. Uh, I just wanted, you know, everybody knows the best nicknames and the best titles are the ones you give yourself. Uh, so, and the only legitimate ones, really. So I... I'm just, uh, I've just made myself, yes, the, the king of 90s can rock, and I can't wait to appear on Columbia House Party when you do an episode of uh, a Treble Charger episode. They seem like the See, one I was who thinking Gob? Would it be Gob? No, Gob would be great, because it's Ska adjacent, but I actually, I had to turn my back on Gob in that wildcard one and go with Age of Electric, so. Wow. Um, when Age of Electric goes on a Cinderella run and meets Great Big C in the semis... Then, then we'll have you on and talk. Final four. All right. Right before we came on to record, I had a player texting me trying to explain what the hell is going on with the Philadelphia 76ers. Philadelphia 76ers <laughs> earlier today, it got leaked that um, they were asking staff and front office people to voluntarily roll back salaries in the range of 15 to 20%. Understandably, the group of billionaires that owns them were getting raked over the coals and Uh, dunked on into oblivion to where Josh Harris had to come out and release a notes app apology saying they are going to do a 180 and spin that all around. As luck would have it, our guest today knows Josh Harris and the Philadelphia 76ers quite well. He is an NBA writer for Bleacher Report and the author of Tanking to the Top, the Philadelphia 76ers in the most audacious process in the history of professional sports, Available now from Grand Central Publishing, wherever you buy your books online. Your own Weitzman, your own man. I just finished the book. Excellently timed quarantine reading. Thanks so much for coming on. <laughs> that was my goal. I figured I would uh, time every <laughs> perfectly timed quarantine reading was exactly what I was going for. What good fortune for us uh, getting you on, uh, you know, the what, when you figure that there could no that, this is funny, be yeah. <laughs> no news possibly coming out of the NBA other than like maybe there's another player testing positive for COVID-19. Somehow the Philadelphia 76ers disorienting <laughs> so great. year has another chapter today. I mean, what's your immediate reaction to it sort of? Um, laughing is one, right? So great. Yeah. It's also... Yeah, laughing number two. How about that? Then I'll say also not laughing, also anger, right? Because again, it's a serious story. And it's just like I would. I Henry Abbott writes about this stuff a lot. He's done a really good job with this and True Hoop and sort of talking about how we don't really and we I think like you know collectively like we we don't talk about ownership a lot in the NBA because it's not as fun as talking about Joel Embiid or whatever, right? But these guys like there's a lot there, right? There's a lot behind these guys and a lot of stuff going on and like. I, I didn't do too much on Harris's background, but I thought, you know, for the book, I did like, I did a chapter basically on it. And it's, I feel comfortable saying he, in his business career, he's made it clear, like employees are not people he puts as a priority right now. Like I can say, you know, I sent, I guess we can talk about some of this and I know I'm all over the place here, but like, you know, I, I the Sixers didn't participate. And before I wrote the, submitted the book or whatever, I sent them a list of things to, uh, you know, if they want to respond and they fought, they were very upset when I used a quote from a book called how private equity is destroying America and about how private equity guys don't really care about the employees or the companies they buy. So I always feel like I'm required to add a Sixer spokesman said, this is not true of Josh Harris, but okay, whatever. <laughs> but, uh, but, 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 <laughs> which is, um, but no, it's, it's, it's kind of like, it just goes hand in hand. Like, it's not so surprising when you think about it. Like, it's just like, how can we make a buck? How can we maximize profit? Oh, here's the case. So like they took care of all the hourly workers but the guys at will employees making 50 grand i mean i think like all of us can relate to those kind of people right essentially in this business like that number and being at will and just having something dropped on you like that like that's not that's not good right so it just no. you know it just i guess it wasn't so surprising <laughs> yeah it's certainly not and i mean that's that's kind of 
the uh, narrative through line uh, of your book, tr- uh, Tanking to the Top, where, you know, there are missteps that the 76ers took throughout the process, whether that's the Hinky part of the process or the process of rant going on around Hinky, where there were just a lot of, you know, dropped PR opportunities or dropped people skill opportunities um, and trouble like that. You mentioned that the Sixers, you know, issued you, oh yeah, that's not true about Josh Harris. One of the things I found most <laughs> interesting in diving into the book was that right out, right off the top, you're like, look, man, the, the 76ers wouldn't let me talk to anyone on the record. Sam Hinkie wouldn't talk to me. Um, you know, former employees signed NDAs and things like that. How challenging was this book to do with no on-record involvement from you know the key figures here yeah it was a pain in the ass i don't know it was really though like i guess in the end i do think it made the book better in the end right you guys can relate right yeah. like no so no if, we've if never I been got... we've never been denied access in any form of our uh, <laughs> exactly of our job <laughs> exactly listen you know what you guys had it pretty good for many years right um so you know it's it's um like if you yeah, it'd be great if I had gotten Embiid and Harrison and Brett Brown and all these guys for four hours. Um, but then, like, the fear is you get lazy with that. So I'd like to think I wouldn't be, but you probably don't make, you know, you make the extra call, but maybe not the extra call on top of that, right? And then the next yeah. call on top of that, and it kind of leads you into some new things. Um, and the and then, like, you know, at one point, I just sort of embraced it. It's like, okay, challenge accepted, right? <laughs> and you kind of... And it's, it's funny because... I mean, like, and I hammer them a lot. And sometimes I feel bad that I'm going at because it's not the PR staff necessarily. I don't think like I, these decisions usually come from above them. Yes, abso- I, absolutely. I'm fairly certain, right? Um, though there are times when I'm not sure how well messages are being passed along. And like one of the messages I tried getting along was, you know, the book's coming out anyway, right? Like it's not. This isn't like a story you could squash, right? It's like I have a like the book, you know, uh, it's January 2019. If you look it up, like there's like books, like Barnes and Nobles already knows when this book is coming out, right? Like it's not, there's a whole process here. So there's, you guys can like, it, it's, you can't, you can't quiet this, right? It's going to come out. So like, why don't you want to speak? And again, I think that, I think that comes from above, but yeah, no, it was definitely not, e- my life could have been a, a phrase like this, right? My life could have been much easier and less stressful, the past year if uh there had been i'm not even gonna say full participation right just like some semblance of participation or i don't want to say professionalism whatever the word is i don't know you know something in the middle there so knowing that you weren't going to get that uh just from a practical point of view uh other than your sort of the knowledge that you have as as a basketball fan and somebody who's paid attention to the 76ers where do you start from a research perspective and uh and uh you know how does that translate into the writing perspective that's a good question um so the way i and i this i didn't necessarily follow this i didn't do i had basically like 14 months let's say you know from signing the book deal until first draft submitted so my ideal was report for about seven write for about seven okay um that's not how it breaks up cleanly but i didn't start writing until about half year in okay um but no, the what I, I mean, I did like the thing. I just made a list of everybody. Um, you know, I went through all media guides and things like that. Made a list of everybody. I called, like, you know, called my own NBA contacts just to get some background. What should I know? What shouldn't I? Um, what's What's also interesting? What I found and like this surprised me. If you go through everything that's been written about people or things like all together, all at once, or if you, you know, if you get transcripts of entire podcasts and you hold it all together and things that like, there's a lot of stuff that's out in the open that just hasn't been necessarily connected yet either. Or I should say that hasn't necessarily been connected yet or things that like can lead to questions where like, okay, so if this happened and this happened, what, why is this this case? Or like something doesn't make sense here and can kind of inform your questioning, which I guess Again, it sounds obvious, but like I wasn't, I was surprised. A good example, right? Like, so my Joel Embiid, my chapter on Joel Embiid, and like as I was writing it up, I print out all these profiles that have been written about him. Um, and I start seeing that some of the details are a little different. So, one story has him like, you know, he was discovered at the age of 15, another has him discovered at the age of 17, and another has him whatever. And it's like you start making calls and feeling like some stuff is off here. And they, I end up getting like what I think it's. I didn't want to use the word embellish, but I think the story had been altered a little bit, or maybe that's the wrong word. I don't, I don't know. He uses the way I phrase it as like, you know, Embiid likes to talk how his life is like a movie. And I think the story's been told in a way where he was like discovered on the street that sounds movie-like as opposed to what actually happened where like an uncle of his emailed the scout a picture of Joel standing in front of a doorpost, right? So little things like that where if you kind of combine it all. Um, so yeah, start doing that. And then you kind of start circling back and you just keep, you know, I kind of 
you hit a few people who you find are, you know, they, they're not upset. Like they don't seem angry when yeah. they answer the phone and it's you, right? And you kind of go back to them a lot and just kind of becomes like a self-fulfilling cycle of finding new things. So you didn't have their involvement uh, of a lot of the key pieces while you were going through. Since the book has come out, have you heard from, you know, a Josh Harris or the Sixers or a Sam Hankey or anyone like that? That's a good question. Uh, I have not. I was curious. So, well, Hinky, well, Hinky Stepper, I'll go to him. But like the Sixers, I was planning on going to a couple games and then obviously um, the world ended, right? So there's not, that's not happening. Um, yeah, no, I'm very, I have not, I have not heard from anyone. Um, and I have not gotten any response from any of those, any of the key players, um, really. Now it would be different, I'm sure, like if they saw me. Like it's funny. So Brett Brown, um, I guess how could I, Brett Brown, I don't think he was very happy last year at one point. I think when he got wind of some of the questions that I was asking, what some of the um, qu- questions, and I apologize if you guys hear my kids yelling in the background, <laughs> but um, I think I think when he got wind of some of the comments, you know, I sent in, um, like, you know, I called it 20 or something negative comments for you guys to respond to, right? Like, like a last chance type thing. And I was very clear that like the book was not all negative and, but here are some examples of, you know, things where you might want to respond. And I know Brett Brown was not happy with some of those. Um, but then I saw him this year in Miami and he acted like we were best friends. So I have no idea. Um, it, but I have not seen them. And Hinky, I have not. Um, I sent Hinky a text message before Sloan asking if he would be there. This was, again, before the uh, pandemic hit. I did not hear back. Um, he's somebody like he might genuinely not pick up this book. Like most people, I think, will, you know, or like would be. You know, if a book's semi about them, they would go at like look yeah, at the it. Curios- the curiosity the factor will win out at the end of the day for most people. Yeah, he's somebody who genuinely might not. Like it would not. Sub- I, I honestly don't know. Like it's very possible he has not. He has not picked up, ordered, or even glanced at the book. So, and I have not heard from him. You sort of have to respect that. <laughs> for sure, for sure. I put him and the Sixers in a different category, right? Like yeah. him, like it's individuals versus an organization. Like I'm not somebody. Like I never think because I decide to write about you that you then are required to talk to me. Like that's just not how I think. Um, an organization is a little different. It's not that they're required to talk about me, but it's this. It's like a bigger entity. Just there should be some more back and forth there. I feel like um, it's more of a responsibility. Um, an individual, like okay, so Hinky. Didn't, I mean, I thought I would break him, and like I'm sure you guys can relate. Relate like usually, you know, if you call and just call, start getting back because you call the guy's uncle and his kindergarten teacher and his yeah. friend and your roommate and it's like okay i'll talk to you and that <laughs> never ha- he like I, I made those calls and they were mostly shut down it never happened so i mean him yeah he's a different entirely a different a uh, different animal was there any one element of this story and obviously everything you know all the pieces connect in a way but was there any one element that you found either most captivating for you to write about or or the most difficult to write about Mm. Um. Yeah. Most difficult. Well, first of all, just just synthesizing all the. Can I curse on this podcast? Like, yes. Okay. okay. All the bullshit. Like, just like all the whether it's trading a second round picks or like there are all there are all these times in the book where just and I, this isn't like a good answer, but just like getting the proper timelines and like they traded this second round pick and then they sign this guy and then they wave this guy for this, like for those parts. And then also the burner gate synthesize, synthesizing all that into a <laughs> like that was like just insane. Like I was sitting there and like, what am I doing here? It's, it's a crazy thing. And then having to explain to my fact, like the copy editors that like, no uncone sources, like that's the typo on his end, not mine. Um, like, please do not correct it to unknown sources. It's supposed to be misspelled. Leave it. Like, you're just <laughs> crazy, weird sentences. Um, so that was different. Um, most different. I just found captivating. Um, I was interested. I was, I was really interested. I'm gonna say, and surprised. I guess getting into the weeds on like how Hinky alienated himself around the league. Like, hearing that was one of those things where like I always thought it was kind of a cliche, right? But then, and it was, well, not a cliche, just like a boiler point um, argument. But then you kind of get into the examples, not that I agree with any of them, but you see like how that stuff manifested itself, whether it's an agent, you know, Jeff Schwartz saying, you know, of Excel Sports, you know, after Michael Carter Williams being traded and pretty much telling his agency, we're not, no one here, we're not, we're not working with Sam Hankey anymore, right? Or the Sixers anymore. Things like that, and like seeing examples of that, like how this stuff matters and how it comes back. And again, 
Schwartz right or wrong or Hinky was right or wrong, but just seeing all that. And then the the Scott O'Neill, who's the Sixers CEO, just getting in some of the details about how he really how how strongly he was really involved in the ousting of Hinky, I found interesting as well. So not to spoil the ending of the book. Well, no, I, it is to spoil the ending of the book. I'm going to spoil it the because this is a Raptors <laughs> podcast. The book ends oh, there you go. when the Toronto Raptors defeat the Philadelphia 76ers in game six or game seven, rather, of the second round of the NBA playoffs with the Kawhi Leonard four bounce buzzer beater. Um, that's, you know, obviously the, the book builds to through the, the hinky years, the teardown, the buildup, and then this kind of Philadelphia transition from process to uh, results-oriented through Brian Colangelo, who we're going to talk about a little later, uh, and then the current regime. The Raptors kind of, I don't know about squashed that, but that was a, a big window for the 76ers there, and Kawhi Leonard and the Raptors defeated them. Um, I'm curious as to your take, uh, I guess it's a, a two, it's a double question, is one, do you think if that ball doesn't bounce in, the 76ers win the championship because the Raptors have more or less said they were so gassed at that point. They don't know how an overtime would have went. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Butler has been very clear. He thinks the 76ers <laughs> would have won an overtime to which I would say you should have taken the game to overtime then. Um, but you know, the 76ers were a good matchup for the bucks and the warriors were obviously in the state that they were come the NBA finals. So I'm curious if you think the 76ers would have won the title had that not dropped in. And then as a kind of follow do you think if the 76ers story to that point ends with a championship, they're more open to giving you people on record for the book? Um, that's a good question. Okay. Second answer. No, right. This, they did not. I think the answer, first of all, it was too late. I don't think so. Right. I think part of the issue, they're big on controlling the narrative and it works a lot with right, how they do stuff in the media. Right. Like there's, <laughs> you know, it just, it happens. Right. <laughs> I'll just say it like that. Right. Um, so they're big on that. Like I don't, and it's not that like I'm not positioning myself as like this big bad guy who's coming in and like I'm showing them, but like I just I was not one of their guys, right? Um, it doesn't mean I like was not I wasn't like anti them, but just not one of their guys. And this was not they did not want this book written at, at that point. Maybe I think like what would have happened is after they won, I have a feeling there would have been then conversations about like you know with another writer and you would see another book coming out, right? Um, that's my guess on that one. On um, if they would have won the championship, right? It's fascinating, like. Fred Van Vliet, Fred Van Vliet, like I've always been fat. He was, you know, the Sixers. What what he averaged in that series? He, like he was pretty much benched, right? Yeah, he he, he, he more or less. Yeah, yeah, he was playing a few minutes. I, I don't know. I don't think he got a DNP CD at any point, but he was pretty damn close at, in a few games. Yeah, you saw the size, but the thing that I'd be worried about the Sixers, I don't know if, if how many. I don't know if Embiid had two more, two more series in him, um, two more full playoff series in him. Um, and like at the end, the math was very simple, right? It was like when it beats <laughs> off the floor, they lose the, they lose the games, right? That was it. And it was like, can he stay on the floor and just? I mean, he was he was he was breaking down toward the end of the year, and he was he was gut, gutting it out. But between the sickness and the, or the flu like symptoms or whatever, which I guess are we getting rid of that now? Is that not going to be like is DMP like are they going to have to change what that is called now on the uh, on the injury report as um in the wake of Corona? Like it won't be flu like symptoms; it'll be something else. Oh yeah, great, that, that'd be tough. Uh, they yeah. might have to just like be honest about it and just say like diarrhea or whatever <laughs> MP was dealing with. It'll be the shits. Yeah, like I think though, you're. I think that's an interesting point. Like the next two three years, people are gonna get worried when they they see flu like symptoms. So we might have to start calling hangovers hangovers. <laughs> that, that, that's not exactly. the Embiid case, but I, I have certainly seen a flu-like symptoms for that before. So uh, uh, I'll just, was, I'll, just I, perdi- I'll predict that the league and its teams will find a way around complete transparency. I'm just going to go out. And say that. <laughs> what? No, shocking. <laughs> <laughs> what, what are you talking about? Adam Silver for president. Come on, I thought you. I thought you. I thought you knew the line here. Okay, come on. Um, the uh, so yeah, no, so that. But I don't think. Yeah, I don't. That's a short way. Embiid, like, I don't think he would have made it another two series. Like, you know, I don't think it would work. Maybe I'm wrong, but that that would be my yeah. concern. It's funny that you know their fatal flaw last year ended up being not having an adequate backup center. <laughs> you know, right. like a, it, a game it killed sa- me to do Amir Johnson like that. Yeah, he's just <laughs> yeah. Game seven. Uh, I think 
Embiid, Embiid and Gasol went minute for minute, second for second. And I think it was about yep. 45 minutes, right? And the Sixers win those minutes by something like eight or 10 points. So then, then lose the other three minutes by 12 points. And, and that right, was oh, the like, math was crazy. Like, yeah. <laughs> and as bad as like, as quote unquote bad as Joel Embiid was in some of those games in terms of just, you know, scoring and his offensive game and Gasol obviously gave him troubles. Uh, he was the most imp- impactful player in that series, like, like maybe second most to Kawhi. But like the the drop off when in the few minutes he were he was not on the floor was you know they killed. That's what killed the Sixers. All right, so we're gonna talk about how things look now for the 76ers because the Raptors did beat them and the 76ers didn't take that game to overtime and didn't uh, go on to the finals where they would or would not have won against the Bucks or the Warriors. Um, but first, tournaments have been canceled. Leagues are suspended. There hasn't been a live game on TV in what feels like a year, even though it's barely been more than a week. There's no better reminder of how important sports are to our lives than to take them away completely. But The Athletic is still home to 400 of the best sports writers out there. And in these very strange, very uncertain times, we're still hard at work doing excellent reporting and telling unique, engaging, informative stories. Like one about Brazilian soccer legend Ronaldinho being in a Paraguayan jail right now which I had no idea about until right now or how the situation really? between Todd yeah uh, or how the situation between Todd Gurley and the Rams got beyond repair or if you're us and we're going to talk about this a little bit when we pivot from Brian Colangelo maybe you just want to revisit the Toronto Raptors that you've disliked the most over the years with the Toronto Raptors all fan ear team uh, it's during times like these that the athletic can help you keep connected to the teams the athletes and the sports you love sign up now to see for yourself the creativity, reporting, and storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. And if you go to theathletic.com slash we the six, that's the number six, you can receive 40% off an annual subscription. Games aren't being played right now, but the stories that draw us all the sports, those aren't going away. So go to theathletic.com slash we the six for 40% off an annual subscription. We hope to see you around. All right. Very long ad read aside. <laughs> um, so the 76ers did not win they did they made it to the second round of the playoffs for the second season in a row which was depending on who you ask maybe a disappointment maybe right on track they entered 2019-2020 as if not the favorite in the eastern conference then number two probably behind the milwaukee bucks before the league went on hiatus they were running into a lot of the same issues that had plagued them the year prior um while sam hickey's plan may have kind of failed to realize the human side of things it also, you know, how the last year and a half went, two and a half years went, uh, kind of highlighted that the NBA is a sample size of one, and if you only do half of Hinky's process and then pivot off too early, um, you risk maybe not reaping all the rewards for, from those years kind of in the cellar. Um, Yaron, I'm wondering what you thought of how the 76ers had played uh, prior to the league hiatus, whether you were seeing some of the same patterns. Once again, they were 39-26, and 26, tied for fifth in the East, and obviously if they did not leave the first round of the playoffs, probably even if they didn't leave the second round of the playoffs, the season would be considered a pretty big disappointment. Uh, were they, you know, it, is it just the same issues that you that you kind of saw them running into um, during the course of, of writing this book? It, was there something new here? Why is it the 76ers seem stuck for maybe now a third year in a row in the same spot? I actually think they're a little... I mean, I'm actually, I'm curious to hear your guys' thoughts also, but I feel like it's a little different. I mean, it goes back... I think it goes back to the offseason, like basically swapping out Reddick and Jimmy Butler for Al Horford and Josh Richardson, right? Which I think it's fair to look back and say those that was a mistake on all fronts. Um, and the Horford thing... That clearly hasn't worked out. Like it's just their insistence on not surrounding Simmons and Embiid with shooters are uh, it's confounding. It's like I don't get it. So like last year there was right there was Embiid's I guess last year and the year before they they, they were an upstart. That's different though. We saw in the second round right. I think the biggest problem was Simmons. If you were to kind of boil it down to one thing right, it was some of the guys guys like Covington and Sarich were kind of exposed as maybe not necessarily being. Um, playoff players i don't mean that in a cliche way i mean just like you know when defenses get tight and all that kind of stuff um and simmons inability to or unwillingness to shoot right in the half court and the celtics wall him up and he can't do anything and toronto certainly did that last year and right so that was one of the big problems it was in b it was that plus in b simmons is um ineffectiveness in the half court plus in beads um 
like poor conditioning or shape, whatever you want to say. Um, this year, it seems like we're like we're not even able to talk about the Simmons and Bead thing because the roster around those is so bad. I don't know. It just doesn't work, right? It just eh. and it's strange. Like they they went bully ball and they were all excited about bully ball and being big and and I get like yeah, as it's funny to criticize a team when you know five minutes ago you and I are talk you guys and I are talking about how a lack of a backup center was their fatal flaw. So what they do, they signed a center and they figured we'll have a uh, all star caliber center on the court at all times, but. Um, <laughs> That clearly has it, which I guess, like, I see the logic there, right? But, um, but that it clearly hasn't worked, and I'm, and they're out of assets. Like, it's just, I don't know. I think, um, I'm very curious to see how they plan on getting out of this little, I don't want to call it, getting out of the mud here, right? In terms of how they've built this roster, where it feels like it'd be hard to get above a four seed. Again, as I'm saying all this, like, they were 29 and two at home and had a top five defense, right? So there was a ceiling there, but just, it just didn't look right or feel right. So you just touched on the one thing I wanted to ask you about having not watched them every game like uh, you have and, and, you know, anybody covering uh, the Sixers has. What the hell is with their home away split? Like, like, is this just a deeply because the easy conclusion and maybe a too easy conclusion to reach there is this is an immature team that folds when there's adversity. And I don't. I think I, like, the answer is that road teams. Re- remember how Raptors used to get like people would call it the White Vegas uh, or the you know the Saturday night in Toronto is undefeated or whatever. Yeah. I think it's yeah. just that everyone overeats uh, cheesesteaks at Ishkabibbles when they go in. So like you get the really <laughs> heavy night before meal in Philadelphia, and that that's all it is. <laughs> or 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 Ka- Kawhi and Kyle going to uh, what was the cookie place? Insomnia. They went to? Yeah. Insomnia. Too many, co- too many cookie options. Uh, they I also mean, have the loudest their their sound system. I'm only half kidding about this. Their sound system is so loud. Like when you have you guys when you go to games there, like it's deafening. Maybe uh, that helps. I mean, I'm, have, I'm like joking, but also some, not joking. We have similar complaints about the. Uh, Do you <laughs> the I, I, I for my part, I I'd, I'd been to one game in Philadelphia before the playoffs last year. I thought the crowds yeah. were pretty spectacular in those games. Yeah, and uh, like especially considering the other three series where Raptors fans who, you know, they're known for traveling really well. And this is something I talked about with uh, broadcaster Jack Armstrong uh, for a piece. Like the Raptors sort of infiltrated the three other arenas they played in, like even Golden State and in the last series at Chase, or not Chase Center, at, at Oracle Arena, there was always a section or more of Raptors fans. And in Philadelphia, they couldn't really get them, so... Props to Sixers fans. They 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 filled the arena, but uh, that still leaves me a bit curious about what the hell's happening with a twenty nine and two home record and a ten and twenty four away record. Like that's that's extreme. no. I don't ha- I don't have a good yeah. I don't have a good explanation. Like I don't have a real good explanation. Right. Like there's a shooting split. I mean, but nothing. There's the stuff people always say about teams. Yeah. You know, role players shoot better at home than road. I do think. Like what? What's a what's a different? It's not soft. That's the wrong word. It is the adversity, though. I think who's the Blake? Did you say that? I do think there's something to that. And this team, it's just the voices aren't there, and there's, there's a tuning out of Brett Brown. I think that's fair to say. And like again, it's it sort of reminds me. It's not one of these things where I think you point to one thing, but I think there are like seven different things going on there that it can. And then and then everyone knows, you know, players they know, and then you, like they're aware of the record and the and the narratives and if you like once it starts being a thing yeah. it becomes a self-fulfilling Some, cycle yeah. right you start thinking about it and just it keeps going and just it, it becomes it takes on a life of its own I'll be honest I think the answer to both of these questions of what's wrong with the 76ers in 2019 2020 what's wrong with the the home road splits pretty much any of the problems with the 76ers can be traced back to Brian Colangelo obviously um <laughs> I I kid but Colangelo, who was basically famous for these tail-chasing, tinkering moves where, you know, there wasn't a lot of patience to his building plan and there wasn't a lot of long-term planning so much as there was get the next thing and keep trying to figure it out on the fly. It was very antithetical to Hinky, so it makes sense that if you had tired of the Hinky process that you'd gravitate towards someone who operates like Colangelo. But it's too stark a contrast, I feel like. And I don't mean to hang any of this on Colangelo individually as much as I would like to and as funny a figure as I find Colangelo in Philadelphia with the uh, the burner accounts and all that. Um, but it was, 
you know, there there probably should have been a, a smoother transition between regimes. I think, you know, Eric, you you kind of lived the Colangelo years in Toronto even more <laughs> closely than I did. Do you remember at all what you thought about Colangelo taking over um, for Hinky at the time? Because like I, I'd imagine most of us who went through the Colangelo years in Toronto were just kind of like, oh man, this isn't going to work well at all. Um, I wasn't as negative on that, I don't think. Uh, I mean, part of the problem with Colangelo in, Tor- in Toronto was just this... I think it it showed an ownership who was maybe too hands off, like and they mm-hmm. and Colangelo never felt the pressure until he felt all of the pressure, and that's sort of what he started chasing, as you said, the chase the tail chasing moments. Um, but Colangelo, I mean, we all know why Colangelo got this job. Uh, it's not it's not a secret when the league basically mandates. Uh, uh, Jerry Colangelo come in to act as what was the title? Senior advisor. It might have, he might have been a chairman. I, I should know right. this, right? He might have gotten a he might have gotten a chairman yeah. role. Um, yeah, I'm gonna forget. I'm a, I'm and, and I know, like Brian, really didn't want. That's not how he wanted to get back into league. He was dying to get back into league, Correct. but he he didn't want to do it through Jerry. And that's just the angle that was the one where he can get back into the league. But yeah, like he was. This was definitely not going to be a guy who was going to be patient, uh, which isn't to say in Toronto, he didn't have his patient moments. Like even when his seat got, you know, hotter, he still drafted Jonas Valanciunas, who was one year or who had to play an extra year in Lithuania. So I think he sometimes gets unfairly portrayed as somebody who like is win now. I'm going to make every big move possible, but this is a guy, he's a deal maker and he, he's not as, uh, he certainly was going to be, if not a 180 from the process, he he was going to be more than a 90 degree, uh, you know, turd from the process. Mm-hmm. He, he was a he was an obtuse angle from the process. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Oh, I like it. <laughs> I like that. Good good geometry. You yeah. know what? I had in what what you said about him him not wanting to use Jerry basically to get back in the league, like. I hadn't. I wasn't so aware of that. Like diving into Brian's history, and like I wasn't aware how how aware he was of like the nepotism charges and how much that bothered him and how much he was like really fighting against that his entire life. Like I found this quote in like 1990 Arizona Republic article talking about that. Um, about Jerry hiring him and you know, Brian saying I'm aware of the nepotism charges, something that bothers me. And I do think that informs so much of like that. If you just think about that and that explains so much of the behavior even the hilarious burngate right like that's you know those two connect right you get a leads to b and also how man if you if that's you dropping in the situation he did was the worst thing possible for him not only is he working for his dad but he's taking over for somebody who most people didn't want out who like it's kind of like a cool like thing people think he just got the job because of his dad there's the shadow looming over it like you're not gonna be able to do anything right it's just according to the fan base it was just an awful situation for him yeah like after like after the fact i sort of view him as a sympathetic figure almost in this story. Yes, I agree. Like, like I, it was just like, we talk about players all the time who are drafted into terrible positions for themselves and, you know, terrible situations. That's a great comp. Yeah. Bad, bad teams are drafting at the top. And, you know, if Devin Booker isn't a winner, it's because, well, he played for Robert Sarver, you know, <laughs> and like he, Robert Sarver kept on changing his mind every two minutes. Well, like mm-hmm. not Philadelphia obviously had, to what whether you think they could play together or not they had two great pieces or or he came in just before the simmons drafting is that correct he came in yeah so like yeah but But, that was already yeah so and he he's always saying i not it wasn't an automatic pick right i took simmons but yeah he that was (laughs) which is yeah but yeah that was given but he he had one great piece and another great piece on its way via the number one pick so it's, it's not like it was an impossible situation but in terms of perception, the car, the deck was definitely stacked against him. And uh, I think, you know, I, I think I don't put much of the blame at his feet while saying that, like, Burner Gate 
is sort of this indefensible thing. And again, which I don't, I mean, if you believe some of what you read, I don't blame him for entirely either. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, the, the league, the, the league clearly wanted to fast forward this pro the process and Colangelo was going to be a part of that. That's clear. Uh, that should have always been clear. Mm-hmm. There are two Raptors-related Colangelo mentions in the book that I, I need to bring up here. One of them, <laughs> One's I really disagree. Good, yeah. <laughs> Man, you were a little hard on the Landry Fields contract. <laughs> you know what's funny? Our uh, I think mutual friend James Herbert told me that too, but I didn't care. It was too funny. Eh? Uh, and, cause, and James was from CBS Sports. He was helping me as some of my... Uh, you know, he was editing some of this stuff as I was doing it, and he told me that, and I left it in. But uh, you can, what do you have it in front of you? Because that's pretty. Uh, I don't I have the passage note, but basically, uh, in the book, as a footnote, it's a hilarious story, man. In, Come on. <laughs> it, basically, he it rakes Colangelo for the Landry Fields deal, which was done to try to limit the Knicks' asset base so that they couldn't sign and trade for Steve Nash. And the Raptors could swoop in and sign Steve Nash. That obviously ended famously. My only gripe is that the Fields contract had Fields not suffered a back injury, then an elbow injury, then like a career-ending nerve injury in his wrist. Landry Fields was actually good. <laughs> I was a uh, <laughs> I was a Knicks fan back then, and I uh, I had my Landry Fields. Um, you know, infatuation period, and then discovered that he will never learn how to shoot, and it drove me crazy. And, having and that having spoken with the Raptors at that time when they signed signed them, they were so it was after two Knicks seasons, one of them being the Linsanity yes. season, which I think was his rookie year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I believe uh, so. And he he was great in that Lin offense, uh, in the Lin powered offense, and he really couldn't figure it out with mellow sort of leading the offense. So, um, but they were hoping, they were hoping that his three point percentage in his rookie year, which was very good. And the three point percentage in his second year, which was not very good. They were hoping like the action in actuality, it was somewhere in the middle. And then when you factor in his like pretty solid defense, you've got like a nice wing piece there, whether he's starting or not. Uh, I think that was for the mid level at the time, or something pretty close to it. They they were like, like "This that. is this was a improvement on you know the the travesty that is the small forward position for the Toronto Raptors." And obviously, within five games, he had an elbow injury that turned out to be a career <laughs> a career ending nerve injury. So we'll never know how sad that logic would have been. Fields shot thirty nine point three percent in his rookie year on threes on three attempts per 36 minutes. So not crazy volume, but like that's over 200 attempts over a season. That's not bad. Those were wide open attempts. Let me tell you that too. Yes. (laughs) And he dropped a 25.6% in his second year as a Toronto Raptor. He only attempted 21 threes. He dropped to 0.5 attempts per 36 minutes. So not only could he no longer hit it, he just like a Patrick McCaw level refusal to shoot threes he went three of 21 <laughs> from outside as a raptor poor guy he said well guy. he just nah, wait, he, gonna... he could no longer shoot how he shot yeah. like his his arm was like he was broken as a basketball player because of this nerve injury like it uh, i do remember sorry this is getting very esoteric here on um, that's perfect <laughs> there there was a raptors blowout uh i forgot you know one of their good years and uh, it got to like garbage time and Landry ca- Landry Fields came in and knocked down a three-pointer and the crowd went crazy. And that was, <laughs> and then after the game, Kyle Lowry said, you know, what's great about something along the lines of what's great about this team is that we, you know, one through 15, uh, uh, we contribute one through 15, even Landry. <laughs> and, and so for a <laughs> while... <laughs> For a, for a while, we uh, a few of us were just calling up Evan Landry Fields. <laughs> um, oh my god! Who, by the way, is a very like a sweetheart of a dude, like really for nice sure. guy. Um, so, uh, and, and it's his career. It's it's sad. I, I mean, he got a great contract, and he'll be set for life if he manages that well. And Donald Trump doesn't blow up the economy, but um, but uh, 50-50 shot. Yeah, but I mean, he'll he'll be fine, but. If you care about guys loving basketball, then having their careers taken from them for reasons that aren't quite fair. Like, again, another sympathetic figure 
Landry Fields. Well, so I'm going to defend myself also. The, the Fields, I did pick on Fields, but the note was in there to show, I think it was in the fourth <laughs> chapter, right? To kind of show how Colangelo was, uh, he was, uh, he was aggressive. Is that fair to say? It was a good yes, example yes. of him being, him being aggressive with his moves, right? So signing Landry Fields because you're playing like some sort of game theory where like doing that prevents the Knicks from getting Steve Nash and therefore you can get Steve Nash is not the type of move, whether it's smart or not, right? That's not the type of move every, uh, every GM would do. I agree. So I mentioned Landry Fields could have come up in this, but I don't think fairly. I mentioned Patrick McCaw, and then obviously there's anytime you talk about Brian Colangelo, you have to talk about and you you made a there's a hilarious footnote in, in your book that when Andrea Bargnani comes up says <laughs> Colangelo still to this day like always brings Bargnani up trying to justify that pick. Yes. Yeah, I couldn't. Someone told me that I couldn't believe it. Um, I couldn't. Uh, yeah, I couldn't believe it. I guess again, it, it makes sense, right? Somebody who's been fighting against the idea that, like, you know, I'm misunderstood or not misunderstood, right? Like, I'm unfairly criticized, and it's not my fault. And Eric, you could probably speak to this better, right? But like, how things ended in Toronto, he felt he was scapegoated or railroaded or whatever type of uh, animal or motor vehicle. Yeah, motor vehicle I, I mean, that, but... <laughs> for for sure, and. <laughs> it's it's hard to talk like as i wrote in the all ire piece that blake and i put together like colangelo's failure and bargnani's failure in toronto or ultimate failures are like inextricably linked uh inextricably linked i, I should say like they're yep basically one in the same uh you know there were ways that i'll never forget this like uh, and I put it in the article after their third years. Uh, the, so the first two picks in that draft in the 2006 draft, uh, of which the best player, it <laughs> turns out, was probably Kyle Lowry, pick 24th, I believe, or 23rd, Hilarious. something like that. But uh, so in in Colangelo's defense, no like home runs at the top of the draft. I would say like Aldridge is clearly like if you're just considering the top five guys who went, like he should have been the top pick based on their careers, but. You know, given the sort of all over the placeness of that draft, you can understand how you end up taking a guy who uh, was, you know, didn't have a, a very good career. Uh, but after mm-hmm. their third seasons, Bargnani and and Aldridge uh, both came up for rookie extensions, and uh, Aldridge's ended up being five and eighty, five eighty years, eighty million for five years. And Bargnani ended up getting 65 over five, uh, which was ultimately, you know, in terms of single mistakes, maybe Colangelo's, I mean, you know, top three error was that extension. Right. Um, and in defending it at the time, he said, well, LaMarcus, you know, LaMarcus averages like two and a half more points and two more rebounds. So Portland per game. So that's what Portland's paying 15 million extra dollars for. <laughs> and like, that was always like, uh, as if that was a compelling statistical case to make. Um, and he, and by the time he realized it, and another thing I'll never forget was <laughs> when the Rudy Gay trade was made uh, that brought him to Toronto, Colangelo said that we know the Bargnani thing has run its course. Like, why are you admitting it on the record now after like having, you know, tried to put him at the center of things for so long? Like, it just, you didn't have to bring up Bargnani and he, he brought it up on his own. So like when he finally admitted defeat there, it was at a time where you could not possibly yield anything, get any return for him unless you're Masai Ujiri dealing with the New York Knicks merely months <laughs> later. <laughs> Uh, and he didn't even get around. He wants. He didn't even stick around long enough to get to deal with the Knicks on that trade. Although you know that probably doesn't happen if Colangelo is still in charge. I, I, I think Bargnani's gone, but who knows if that specific situation uh, presents itself. Anyway, this is that's this was quite the digression. <laughs> not, not surprisingly, Andre Bargnani uh, headlined our All Fan Hour team which you can check out at theathletic.com slash Raptors. Uh, if you don't have a subscription yet, theathletic.com slash we the six. That's the number six for 40% off. Um, that was fun to do. And people seem to really like, as much as people like cheering on players they like, people really seem to love engaging with players they they hate as well. 
Um, as we as we kind of wrap up here, Yaron, I have one more question for you, and it's a little sure. out there, but I'm curious how has um, how have kind of the restrictions that we're all operating under now affected the pooper scooper usage of New York citizens? <laughs> you went into the deep. You went into the archives there, didn't you? <laughs> um... <laughs> James reminded me of this, and <laughs> yeah. So yeah, for I'll anyone who doesn't know, um, <laughs> Go ahead. for the outline, at, at one point in 2018, Yaron wrote about how New York's pooper scooper laws, quote, don't do shit. Um, so curious as to how, how, how you've seen this play out. That's You know what's funny? Okay, so the background is I live in this neighborhood. It's in Riverdale. It's uh, on the edge of the Hey, Bronx I live in, in Riverdale, too, in Toronto. Nice. Do you actually? Look at that. And yeah. do you also get when people, like, do people ask you if it's the... Uh, where the show is, like Archie, do you get any of those? Yeah, jokes? no, like, I haven't heard sometimes. those, but in my head, I I always have the Simpsons clip where Homer gets thrown <laughs> off the bus saying, stay out of Riverdale, like that runs <laughs> through my head, like almost 24-7. Anyway, sorry. All good. I hope you're Riverdale. So I was walking around and I noticed, like, you know, nice neighborhood, lots of dogs, and nobody cleans up the dog shit in this neighborhood. Nobody. It was horrible. And I don't know what it is, so I did some deep diving investigative work. So one one could say that the Sixers book does not happen and train myself with the uh, how to dig into dog shit first. Um, and I discovered that I don't even remember what I discovered. I discovered that the uh, city can't really enforce it because that has a whole bunch of you know bureaucratic rules and that. Though if you like dogs, right, the idea that it's okay. You can be a dog lover. In fact, if you are a dog lover, dog shit on the streets is bad for dogs because dogs them sniff and eat it, and that can get, they can get sick from that. So, like, if you're worried about, you know, you see dog shit around, and you're worried about, oh, I don't want to be the guy who's like known as the guy who hates dogs. You can actually position yourself as, you know, I'm doing it for the dogs. Anyway, um, I have not. That's a good question. I feel like actually there's been. I see a lot of people out with dogs, but I've actually seen, you know, I've been trying to do my like, you know, daily 10 minutes of fresh air type thing, right? At, at least. Um, and I have not seen as much poop around and uh, I'm very happy about that. That is funny. I did not. Now I'm going to have to go take a look, another look, but I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. That's funny though. Eric, what about you, man? You, you've got Walter to take care of. How, how's, I, I'm assuming Walter's just loving quarantine because you're around all the time. Yeah, I saw a story about like a dog having to go to the vet because he or she was wagging its tail too hard because his, his or her owners were uh, around all the time. And this strikes me <laughs> as uh, like an online lie. Um, everything good. <laughs> like, like, uh, anyway, y you know Walter. I mean, you're on Blake has uh, dog sat for me several times. He's not really uh expressing his happiness type dog okay but uh, i think like he's been pretty yeah he's pretty happy like to have legs just to like perch his head onto, and you know there's always a foot to comprehensively lick um and the the worst part for me and i'll i'll never you know say much negative about my sweet little prince um but like trying to do yoga or trying to exercise with him in the apartment, like, you know, it's not a huge apartment, is very difficult. Um, he is just getting up in there. There might have been a situation where I was doing jumping jacks the other day and he grabbed onto my leg and started humping me. Uh, so <laughs> my one year old does not, the same. <laughs> it's not ideal. Uh, that That is the one drawback about having, you know, uh animal companionship at this time is i'm when you're trying to keep yourself somewhat healthy <laughs> too much companionship becomes, yeah yeah it becomes like dude just you know get what's happening here uh but he's yeah That's he's pretty funny. happy and you know we're like one of the highlights of my day or you know we take him on two or three walks a day and it's nice to get out and everybody's sort of respecting the distance the best that they can and people are making mm -hmm. wide berths on the Riverdale sidewalks so uh you know I appreciate it and uh, you know more time with Walter uh, even though I'd love to be covering NBA games right now you know that's not a bad consolation prize also I get to hang out with Eric, my wife did... more <laughs> <laughs> Eric did he hump your injured leg or your good leg no, it was my good leg. Uh, I, I mean, maybe it was just out of um, 
Like, I shouldn't be doing jumping jacks. And maybe he was just trying to save me from myself. So maybe he really is the best boy. <laughs> it sure is. Um, all right, guys, uh, you can read your own work at Bleacher Report, but also please check out Tanky to the Top, the Philadelphia 76ers, and the most audacious process in the history of professional sports. Uh, just search Tanking for the Top wherever you buy your books online, Amazon, or otherwise. Um, it's really great. Your own I podcast aside and uh, review copy aside, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, you know, a Raptors book is something that I've kicked around a little bit the last little while, especially after the championship. Um, and basically, I mean, as a writer, I read this and I was like, oh yeah, that's the template of how you write um, from inside a team. And the fact that you were able to do it without actually being inside that team uh, is remarkable. I really enjoyed it. You did a great job on it, man. Oh, no, that means a lot, really. I appreciate that from you guys. Thank you, truly. Thanks for having me on. Eric, any uh, parting shots before we let the people go? Well, I was just going to tell Yaron to stay safe and sane. Um, yeah, keep on, keep on, you know, so do that, Yaron, and, and thanks. Um, parting shots, you know, you can always check out the Canrock bracket on, on, on my Twitter feed at eCorine. That's the most important thing going on right now if you want to relive your much music nostalgia. Um, people just stay smart and safe out there. And I, I mean, a lot smarter people than me have delivered the message appropriately. And uh, dumber people are delivering the message totally inappropriately. It may, may be, you know, screwing up the message altogether. But try to posit- uh, to focus on the positive stuff, on the things you can do for yourself and for other people. Um, it's fun that they're re-airing the Raptors run uh, every night uh, on TSN and Sportsnet from, from last year. I think it's... Uh, game five on Tuesday night when we're recording this. So game one against Philadelphia comes Wednesday night. So more good timing with Huron being on the podcast. Oh, um, look at that. And yeah, and, and that's that's about it, guys. Please keep on uh, reading at theathletic.com. And uh, if you have anything you really want to read that we can we can help you out with uh, at this time, feel free to hit me, Eddie Corrine, or... Blake Murphy ODC on Twitter and, and you know this is a time to get weird and get creative and, and we're open to you know stuff that you really want to read about by the way in addition to the uh, replay of all the playoff games uh, Raptors on the Raptors on Twitter are taking fan votes and every night uh, on NBA TV Canada at 6 p.m. they're airing um, a historic game one from each of the team's 25 seasons that you can vote on to help you with that. Eric also wrote your definitive season by season guide uh, to viewing the Toronto Raptors retroactively, basically the best games of every season. Uh, so check those out as well. Theathletic.com slash we, the six. Uh, and that is tanking to the top by your own Weitzman. Your own. Thanks so much, man. Eric, thank you guys. We will talk to you next week. See ya. See ya.